Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. With today's episode, I have a quick announcement. For the time being, I am going to be offering free half-hour coaching sessions to anyone who reviews my show on Apple Podcasts. You might have noticed that I shared this as a message recently in my outro message, that message that comes on with the end music at the end of every podcast. And so if you're interested in a free coaching session related to anything, grad school, careers, social justice, wellness, personal development, productivity tips, or anything else that I cover on the podcast, feel free to leave me a review and then go ahead and send me a message on social media or uh, preferably at my email, which is gradschoolfemtoring at gmail.com so that I can send you the link to sign up for your session. So today I actually have two different reviews that have been shared in the last month or so. So the first one is, it says, it's by someone named T. Celeste. This podcast is a must listen for anyone, especially first-gen BIPOC individuals who plan to apply to or is already attending grad school. Dr. Yvette Martinez-Vu shares her expertise and advice in an accessible, kind, affirming, and candid way. Her episodes include invaluable advice that demystifies the grad school application process and equips listeners with the knowledge they need to succeed. I'm so grateful I came across this podcast and can't thank Dr. Martinez-Vu enough for her phenomenal work. I actually have come to know this person who wrote this review because um, she's now one of my clients and one of my FMTs. And um, just know if you're listening, if you're out there, I know you're probably listening, you get an extra half hour session on top of the coaching package that you signed up for. So thank you so much for your support and for this lovely review. The next one um, that was left recently is by someone, it says here, Diana VC. And they say, as a first-gen femme student of color, I am more than grateful for Dr. Martinez Vu's invaluable advice about grad school and also general professional development tips. Dr. Martinez Vu brings a unique, inclusive, and much-needed real-life perspective on grad school. This podcast has really helped to demystify grad school for me, and it has also helped me in my general professional development. Much thanks and props to Dr. Martinez Vu for putting this together. Oh, Diana, thank you so much. I'm not sure if I know you, <laughs> but um, thank you for this really kind uh, and warm review. You should definitely send me a message. I don't think I've heard from you. So that way we can chat further. I'd love to hear more from you. So if you're interested in leaving a review, an honest review is fine of the podcast. You can do so on the Apple podcast app and send me a message so that we can chat further. Okay. 
All right, now let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. This is your host, Doctora Yvette. And today I have an episode all about what it's like going from studying abroad in undergrad to living a life abroad in the Netherlands. Our special guest is Laura Quintero Sukarn Singh, and she is a program officer at ECHO, Expertise Center for Diversity Policy. She has been involved in multiple projects surrounding diversity and inclusion in the US and in the Netherlands. During her studies at UCLA, she combined her sociology major with extracurricular projects and access and outreach to contribute to social justice change in education and society. In 2016, she participated in a summer exchange program at Frey University that focused on the decolonization discourse in Europe. And then in 2019, she moved to Amsterdam to begin a new life with her family and to continue the necessary work of diversity and inclusion in the Netherlands. I should also mention she's a fellow Chicana. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Laura. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Ivette. Um, this is a really amazing opportunity, and I just want to take the time to thank you for, um, yeah, sharing your platform with me. Of course, I'm so glad that you reached out. It's just um, so nice to reconnect. And for the the folks who don't know our relationship, it, it, maybe we can mention a little bit about how we met. <laughs> yeah, we can definitely go ahead and, yeah. and uh, share that. Yeah, so um, Laura is actually one of my former students when I was an instructor for the transfer summer program at UCLA. And so for those of y'all that are TSP alum or TS former TSP students, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> I know, we want to go woo woo. <laughs> so Laura, can you get us started by telling us a little bit more um, about who you are, what you do, maybe a little bit about your backstory and how did you get to where you are today? Because my head is going, I feel like a mile a minute wondering, wait, how does a Chicana from California went to UCLA end up in Amsterdam? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So it's actually quite a story. Um, but I'll start off with a little bit of background about me. So I am from California. I was born and raised in L.A., um, I'm a Chicana. I'm a first generation low income. Well, I was a low income student. I graduated from UCLA, um, where we actually met um, through the TSB program. And uh, yeah, um, I'm also a mama. So I have a daughter. She's uh, almost four. She's uh, literally my heart. So um, yes, I'm a wife, an hermana, a daughter. So um, yeah, kind of just like all, all of these uh, different intersectionalities. And um, yeah, so the reason how I ended up in the Netherlands was actually because I was part of the AAP program at UCLA, which is the Academic Advanced Program. And um, there was this opportunity. I had this email sent to me as a student during my undergraduate years. And it said there was this opportunity to study abroad and it was re really focused on like social justice. And I thought, wow, this is really, this sounds really interesting and I've never um, studied abroad. So I thought um, this is perfect because that's actually, it was actually one of my goals to study abroad. 
Um, Can I put a pause yeah, on that? <laughs> yeah. So you said it was one of your goals to study abroad. And some of us have that as like a dream, but it feels really lofty. Like what made you decide I'm going to do it and not let maybe certain limiting beliefs like, oh, I, I can't afford it or, oh, it's too far away from my family or, oh, it's I've never done that, never been on my own or, you know, it's kind of scary because um, you said it's it sounded very interesting, especially the social justice component. And clearly you did it. So what what got you over the edge to actually applying and going? Well, actually, I it was actually the funding that um, kind of changed my my mind and it kind of uh, made me want to do it because there was funding provided nice. through the program. And I and I always I can't advocate enough for study abroad programs that have you know, um, some kind of funding or maybe scholarship attached to it. I always, you know, you know, I, I, I can't stress it enough. I, I always feel like students should have the right, no matter what socioeconomic uh, background they're from, they should have the opportunity to travel abroad. Um, yes, yeah, st study abroad is such a great opportunity. So that, that, that was kind of like a weight off of my chest that I felt like, you know, I was, I, it was, an opportunity for me that I, that I can really travel abroad. So um, on a, another part of, I think, um, studying abroad was like visiting, you know, just visiting a new place. I, I, yeah. I really was interested in, you know, I have a little bit of sociology background, so I knew um, that I always wanted to see the world, what was outside especially of California outside of the US. So, and I didn't necessarily know at that time where the Netherlands was, you know, because um, <laughs> I, I, I was just- So you know, where I is it like, for, for where those of us it? who yeah. have not been there? <laughs> it, it's it's actually the Northwestern part of Europe. It's, it's kind of at the top. So um, yeah, I, it was actually quite an experience getting here and realizing, wow, this is really a different part of the world. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I really just saw that there was opportunity and I thought, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and do it. And I'm so glad I did because it will, it literally changed my life. So, yeah. So um, I want you to, to say a little bit more about, um, I guess this is what, what I wanted you to, to, to talk about is that study abroad experience and how it did change your life. And you mentioned that there was funding. So that's amazing. And there are, I am aware now on the other side of things. When I was an undergrad, I didn't know that you could study abroad and get financial aid or scholarships, mm -hmm. things like that. And I was under the impression that that there were too many cons, you know, for me, it was like, oh, it would be too expensive or, oh, it would delay my graduation timeline or, oh, it's too scary. I'll be on my own. Maybe it'll be, you know, a risk to my safety. And now <laughs> I know better. It's actually quite the opposite. A lot yeah. of European countries actually have lower costs than the US. A lot of European countries are actually, this is not to say of every single country out in the world if you study abroad, right. but in, in your case, you did go to a European country and I live in a European country too. Um, so the lower cost of living and there are a lot of um, areas are safer comparatively speaking, like if you look at the crime rates than the US. And so all these things, these myths that I had, actually we can debunk them in this case and your case too. Um, but I'm wondering uh, if you could share a little bit more about maybe details about your experience. Like, 
what were the things that you learned? What were the the benefits? What were the advantages? And also probably disadvantages or challenges or things that you learn, like learning lessons from your experience. Yeah, so there were definitely a lot of positive experiences. I mean, I did have culture shock when I came here because it's just it's different than the U.S. in terms of, you know, what the population looks like here. Um, there are communities who are marginalized here and that that also may look different from the U.S. Mm. So that, that was kind of uh, an eye opener for me to see, especially learning about the colonization history of the Netherlands, which uh, the Netherlands has a deep colonial history yeah. in terms of, you know, um, yeah making it a, a a global colonial project to you know colonize different parts of the world and um really understanding uh their their trajectories how 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 did those communities come back to the netherlands how did they end up here and so which you know it makes sense because if you were there you know they're gonna come here you know so um yeah it, it just um it also helped me see a different way of life I think because I always thought that you know you always had to have a car to get somewhere which is you know California is very like car heavy culture (laughs) and in the Netherlands I saw that public transportation actually is um uh you know a huge way to get around whether it's like um you know trams or metros and uh or biking and I feel like that is a in comparison to California, in my experience, because I was also a commuter student. So that was very difficult for me to also experience while I was an undergrad, um, which I didn't always feel safe when I was riding the bus. And I know that here in the Netherlands, it's definitely, since it's so common and and people take the the, the bus, the tram, the metro all the time, it's relatively safe. And I feel like um, I can always get from point A to point B um, without, you know, too, too many crazy stories happening on the bus. So, yeah. Yeah. So you, I mean, I guess that could be, uh, an advantage is just yeah, the accessibility of public advantage. transit and learning a new way of life, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of, um, I don't know what the pacing is like, but in my experience living in Portugal, people are a lot more like down to earth. <laughs> not so much in a rush (laughs) yeah I cannot stress that enough you know the vacation culture here is real people really take their holidays seriously oh I've been shamed by my Portuguese teacher like you need to take time off (laughs) yes yes no and I and I think that's really important because in the U.S. I feel like the U.S. really stresses like grinding culture like if you're if you're not grinding nonstop you're you're not living out your full potential but I think it is crucial it is important that you take time off because if you don't you know take time to heal you know from all the stressors in life to you know re recharge re-energize yourself and then come back to work you're just gonna burn out and it's just it's it's real you know so I think it's it that's also a positive that I've noticed here that the life is a little bit more um at a manageable pace, I think, than in the U.S. And a lot of things close early in the Netherlands. So a lot, I know a lot of people mm. back home when I tell them stores close around six, 
they're like, what? Like, how could stores close at six? There's 24 hour, you know, stores in, in the US. And I'm like, I didn't see that as an issue until I got here. And I thought, wow, people really need to go home to their families at some, at some point, you know, it's just normal. It's natural. It should be that way. Um, so it really did shift my perspective on, you know, working nonstop and, and yeah, just in many ways, seeing how toxic that can be for ourselves, yeah. for our bodies, for, for our communities. Yeah. It's really hard to see outside of it when you're there, when you're living it. Right. And so actually one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the podcast is to introduce another possibility to my listeners um, who are overwhelmingly undergrads who are seeking to apply to grad school and current like early um, grad, like some of the younger graduate students. And so they're still thinking about what they're going to do with their lives and, you know, what career path they're going to go on. And in your case, you have changed your lifestyle, your location, even your career path. I think um, hopefully we'll get into a little bit more about how you got into your DEI work. But yeah, I, I know the other thing that comes up with studying abroad, but then also moving abroad. And I, I don't know if you started mentioning them, but the so from an outsider's perspective, especially on social media, on Instagram, there's a, a romanticized view about uh, <laughs> what it's like being abroad. Like, oh, it's so pretty, it's so nice, and everything seems so great. But there are also challenges, especially... Well, if you're studying abroad, everything's just a shock. But then if you're moving abroad, all of a sudden you go from the shock to becoming an immigrant. And so I wanted to to get your thoughts on your experience and knowledge of some of the challenges, maybe your study abroad challenges, and then we can transition to talking about your life actually moving to the Netherlands. Yeah, so I think challenges from as a student or maybe it was just really great. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just a great experience. But I, I, I would say learning the language because um, anywhere you live, even if it's for a short period of time, I because I was doing the program for about six weeks, I still had to kind of familiarize myself with the Dutch language, whether it was reading it or, you know, hearing it or speaking it, because I, you know, I also had to learn a little bit to be able to adapt to my surroundings, you know, it's just uh, kind of a survival skill, I think, as um, also as a student of color, being able to, you know, be resilient and, and code switch, because we know yeah. that we're naturally good at that, you mm -hmm. know, we have to be able to communicate across audiences and across different cultures. So I think that that was a challenge, but it also helped me grow. And it in, in many ways prepared me for what what I could expect when I actually moved here so I, I think that was my biggest challenge and and also just um kind of yeah learning about the different norms and the different values in the Netherlands that that kind of surprised me too in many ways was a uh, yeah, challenging. Can you give as an well. example of what you mean by that? Like, what is one example of like different norms? Yeah, I think, um, for example, like the student life, they're like the Dutch students, the typical Dutch students um, will have like student associations, but they'll they'll go out and drink together. And I'm like, oh, that's not a um, like academically, you know, I'm like, 
Mm, in the U.S., it's a, I mean, in my experience, it was a little bit more like there would be parties or you know things things like gathering social gatherings outside you know not not necessarily through academia but you know this was through academia and it was kind of like mm, that's that's really interesting I, I don't know if I would see that in the U.S. in, in that way <laughs> or yeah or or in professional settings like people will go to what they call bottles or actually like uh kind of like a drinking get together outside of work so it's you know, it's with your all your colleagues, and you'll go ahead and, and go drink together. But that's also uh, very exclusive to certain populations, because there, there is a large Muslim community in the Netherlands. And that's oftentimes overlooked, even um, though they make up a huge population in the Netherlands. Yeah. Oh, wow. See, that's right. something that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And so that was also a shock to me, because, um, you think like, oh, a bottle will be very inclusive and, you know, be calling in people, but it's actually calling, mm. you know, it's making people feel, out, you know, yeah. excluded from those type of activities. Maybe that that also want to be, you know, in social gatherings, but not necessarily involving, you know, things Thank that you. might might not necessarily yeah. align with their beliefs. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. Yeah. Um, I I wanted to hear also about. So you went from studying abroad to to moving abroad. How did you get to that point? Because so many people who I know who have studied abroad, they have not moved. <laughs> Maybe they continue to travel, but they, not, they don't decide all of a sudden to completely move their life to another country. So can you tell us a little bit more about your decision, what went into it and and why, why the Netherlands, you know, because you could have moved to a lot of other places. You know, I actually really liked the Netherlands when I came as a student and I thought, wow, can I really see myself living here someday? And my first initial thought was, and I, I remember I spoke to you about this uh, Yvette or, um, in an earlier conversation that um, it's kind of a taboo for um, uh, mujeres um, in like Mexican culture to leave their oh family yes. you know it's such it's kind of a taboo and and you know it's kind of unspoken but you just know you shouldn't do it you know you feel mm -hmm. some kind of pressure and I felt like if I moved away this would be so far from my family and I was starting to get a lot of like that for like you know like um that that guilt that daughter guilt that yeah. oh man if if I moved away so far this would really impact my parents but then I thought okay you know that maybe I won't move you know but then I realized that that's also closing off opportunities for me if that's something that I wanted to do. And I felt like um, studying here also opened up the opportunities in terms of networking. I was able to meet so many different people. And um, well, I decided to move here actually because I met my partner during an exchange. And so um, we became best friends ever since the exchange and we decided not to lose contact. And then, um, yeah, I, I went back to the US. We continued a long distance relationship and then we decided to start a family. So um, that's when my, my little girl comes into play. Oh. And uh, yeah, we decided, you know, how are we going to navigate a transnational family, you know, because my husband who identifies as Indo-Caribbean Surinamese and I identify as Chicana, what, you know, where are we going to live? Where are we going to raise our child? And that became a real conversation for us. So we thought, you know, what, what are the immigration policies in, in 
you know, the United States, what, what, what are we looking at and, and how, how, how does that look in the Netherlands? So it was uh, something that we really had to talk about and work through. And we ended up deciding for the Netherlands because the, um, the residency process was much shorter um, in comparison to the U.S. And, you know, we, we also mentioned this earlier that um, in a different conversation that the U.S. doesn't really have a comprehensive like pathway to citizenship. Yeah. And, and that's also uh, one of the factors why we decided to move to the Netherlands, because our main priority was uh, family unification. We wanted mm-hmm. to unite our family and keep each other you know, together um, because we know what family separation looks like yeah. firsthand in the U.S. And that is just tragic I, I just I just know that you know I, I've seen it firsthand in in my communities and so I, I didn't want that um, for our family so we really had to make a choice and I uh, had to I talked with my parents which was also very difficult to do mm-hmm. uh, my husband and I talked with them and we explained to them and you know it, it was very difficult for them because you know I'm pretty sure they they didn't want their daughter to leave. It's you know, and and their grandchild and you know their their son-in-law. It's it's hard to have family abroad, and you know many of us experience it. If we have um, family in Mexico or in different parts of the world, mm-hmm. you know, you wish you can be with that with that family. You wish you can you know spend time together, convivir, but sometimes that's not you know that's not really an option. So I will say that we have enough privilege to um, be able to travel abroad and, and, you know, be able to come back as well. So that, that also is, uh, um, yeah, an, an option for us, which I know many people don't have. And so I don't take that for granted. And I, 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 feel, I feel truly blessed to have that opportunity. And so, yeah, um, so I moved to the Netherlands. I've been li- living here for three and a half years. And, um, yeah, we decided to, you know, have, uh, you know, start start building a life here. But I will say that we were very fortunate to have many resources. Um, also, because my husband is uh, was born in the Netherlands, so he he knows the system. So um, he was able to to support me a lot in my transition here. His family, who is also my family, helped me transition, and you know, made made that that experience a lot more smoother than it would have been if I had just moved here without, you know, any connections or, you know, I, I can imagine, you know, I, I would have done it, but it would have been much more difficult, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate because I, we did move sight unseen with no connections here and okay. we have gone through our fair share of, um, bureaucratic struggles <laughs> yeah. but you know we're yeah. navigating it and like I like you said you're like oh we're privileged enough like I feel like my educational privilege comes to play where even though I don't know right. the language I'm learning it I can navigate bureaucracy to some extent in a way that like we've been okay uh, but I appreciate you actually being open and honest about what it's like one, having a difficult conversation with your parents, what parent wants to have their child move to another country. I can't even imagine my own babies (laughs) moving away from me. 
And, um, and I, you know, I had to have a similar conversation with my own mom and it's, it's not something that anybody's excited about per se, um, because they love you, they want you close to them. But then at the same time, you really do get to see like, who's there to support you, who's going to have your back, even if it's something that doesn't make them 100% happy, like they they want to to be there for you and support you. And also like, uh, the parallels too in living abroad and having a transnational family and then getting to understand a little bit more the experiences of our own parents who may have family members who are also kind of um, away from each other. So in my case, my mom and and her sister and some of her tias, tios, and all folks who are still in Mexico, um, and then seeing how they get together once a year and really bond during that time. So um, it's not easy, but it's a possibility. And if it's something that I think that if someone is drawn to they should know that they have this option to be able to move abroad and what's the worst that can happen like people would always ask me one why do you want to move abroad and then two what was the the um another question was like why like how and then like um but what about family and um and then what if you don't like it? And I would always say, well, if I don't like it, I can just move back. Right. <laughs> and I know you it's not as simple back. in your case because right. your priority is family uh, unification, but it's it's true. Like what's the worst that can happen? You go back to square one, you go back to mm-hmm. where you were before and you go back with more information. You don't start, you don't ever start from scratch. You go back having learned what you learned from that experience. Yeah, um, yeah I also, um, hearing you talk about your experience hearing you talk about the fact that you're from California the fact that you um, are a Chicana I'm wondering how moving abroad and living there now for a couple of years how it's impacted your identity how it's impacted your mothering Um, you mentioned a little bit about this but um, yeah I'm just curious because it can be hard to build community abroad and I know firsthand it's it's hard to have a multiracial or mixed race family, uh, multicultural, whatever you want to call it. It's just like blending a lot of different cultures and languages um, and nationalities too. So I'm curious how that has impacted your identity or your identities, your, the different roles that you carry. You mentioned being a mama. You also mentioned being an hermana, hija, all the different roles in your life. Yeah, definitely. It's changed. Um, yeah, even the way that I see myself, I think, because I think in California, I was very comfortable in my community, you know, among students as well. I, I feel like I feel a lot of um, support. And I think, yeah, my support network was there at UCLA with, you know, um, other students who also identified as Latino or Chicano, Chicana, Chicanet. So I feel like those were my people, you know, mm-hmm. I felt really close with them. And then, you know, having to find, you know, reimagine what community looks like for me here now, because um, there aren't, I will say that there aren't a lot of Chicanas here. Yeah. And so, so um, yeah, just, I think it was really, 
just identifying with the common struggle of uh, marginalized folks here and what that means to them in some way or form, I related to their stories, whether it was, you know, not, you know, being first generation, because there's a lot of first generation students here. There's um, a lot of low income community families from here, you know, and it, you know, the struggle might be different, but there's a lot of similarities still. And I think that that speaks to, um, you know, up, across different, different communities across the world. I think I was able to really find community with um, first generation students, also students of, you know, students of color who, who have, you know, family with immigration background that, that also, you know, I was able, that resonated with me. And um, also being involved in, uh, as a student within, you know, organiz like being connected to organizations who were involved with access and, you know, equity work, diversity and inclusion. And so that really opened up the doors for me. So now actually that I, I live in the Netherlands, I was able to, um, continue those, you know, connections and, and, and maintain, you know, relationship with uh, some organizations that I met while I was studying here as a student. So the, actually the organization that I work for is a, it's a nonprofit organization. It's called ECHO and they focus on um, uh, diversity policy, uh, whether that's in higher education, in the ministry. So like the government and uh, just different organizations as well. And uh, they focus a lot on access and, and uh, outreach work. So they, um, have, we provide different services as well as like have different programs that help um, also first-generation students or students with migration background to also, you know, have opportunities within the labor market because there, there is a lot of discrimination in the Netherlands in the labor market. Um, as well as um, maybe not necessarily having uh, the same opportunities in education as well. So that that kind of uh, spoke to me because I also feel like, you know, as a transfer student as well, I am a transfer student. I transferred from a community college to then to UCLA. I identified with a lot of uh, struggles. And even now as um, a person who is a non-Dutch, you know, uh, citizen living in the Netherlands, that also meant something to me. You know, I also wanted to, I've always known that I wanted to be a working mom. So I wanted to make sure that the, that, that I had a network that could support me in that because I feel like even if you have access, if there's no support, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to make it work. So um, I wanted to make sure that, that I did surround myself and I had a, a good network that, you know, could help me, um, yeah, continue to to thrive even in those spaces where I felt were not necessarily meant for me as well. And so I think that, um, yeah, that was that was kind of like my that was also an eye opening moment for me as well because I realized that my narrative was also very particular and it was very unique in the sense that you know there aren't a lot of Chicanas in the Netherlands. Uh, who come from, you know, California, who studied at UCLA, um, and are also a mom, you know, so I had, I had these different parts of me that made up who I am, that 
aren't really that common in the Netherlands. So I thought, you know, this this is a, you know, in in many ways, um, you, you know, this is a how would I say that? Like yeah, a rarity it, it, or yeah, or... It's, it's you know, it's very empowering. I would say yeah. it's, it's it's empowering because um, I feel like um, the organization could really benefit from my lived experiences and my knowledges that I bring with me. So um, they were very eager to work with me, uh, the organization, uh, ECHO. They, they reached out to me and they, they offered me a position. And at first, you know, I joined one of their programs because I thought I was having a little bit of imposter syndrome. And I was like, oh, maybe I, you know, I, I, I'm not cut out for this uh, job or maybe I'm not qualified enough because I don't speak... Dutch, which is, you know, oftentimes a huge requirement for a lot of jobs. Um, so I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I, they're not going to see me as uh, qualified enough. But then I realized I bring much more to the table. You know, I'm not only this, you know, non-Dutch speaking person. I, you know, I'm also bilingual. Um, I speak Spanish. I, I speak English, which, you know, um, many people speak here as well. So I thought, you know, I have a lot of good, you know, qualities that, you know, I, I do qualify for, for a good position. And so I joined one of their mentoring programs to kind of, um, yeah, build up my experience and, and build up, you know, my professional, um, yeah, my professional experience, because I also, you know, was out of uh, the workforce for quite a bit because I was raising my daughter. But once she was old enough, I knew that I wanted to go back. So um, they offered me a position. And so I was actually working on the mentoring program while I was a mentee. So that was also a really unique experience to, to kind of do the back end of the programming while I was actually still part of the program. And that, that was really, um, that was such a good experience because it, it not only um, built my network, but, you know, I was also able to, to kind of, ground myself in you know the labor market and and what and look at that you know from firsthand perspective what what does that look like and how see see myself transitioning from a mentee also you know into my role as uh, a, a program officer I really like hearing you talk about I'm glad that you got to talking about your work your DEI work in the Netherlands because I think that in talking about your experience you're already debunking some myths um, particularly around um, the difficulties in getting jobs if it's even possible to get jobs abroad what types of jobs are available um, I know that that's one of the, the questions I get a lot from folks who are curious about moving abroad is, well, what, what do you do? How do you make a living? Are there jobs there? But that's very specific to the country and even the city within that country. Um, but you are showing us that there are opportunities out there and there are places, there are nonprofits, companies, places that would value our knowledge, our experience, even if it seems kind of out of left field, like, wait, Chicana from California, they, they want to hear from me. Uh, but right. then remembering everything that we come and bring to the table. Um, right. it, it, even, you know, you mentioning the bilingualism and how actually, I think it's even more of a benefit um, here for, or at least in my, from, from my experience, I have found 
that has been a great benefit to be bilingual um, because you never know who's going to know your other language. And I right. have had more opportunities to practice my Spanish here than I do when I go to the U.S. or when I'm in the U.S. So that, I, I think that's really interesting, too, and that it's more the norm, actually, to be bilingual, trilingual, multilingual, yeah, multilingual in other yeah. countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I realized that here as well. It also helped that my the language that I brought with me, you know, in my, in my social justice toolkit was also um, very useful for me because in the Netherlands, you know, they, they're a little behind uh, in terms of um, social justice work, I will say. Oh, I think a lot um, of places are, especially yeah. I'm like, we're in like colonizer territory. So oh, we can't oh, like oh, deny we that. Are. <laughs> we are. So, so, you know, but I, but I think that, you know, there is a shift now, I think, especially be, because of Black Lives Matter movement, mm -hmm. you know, when, when, when that happened, a lot of um, institutions and a lot of organizations and, you know, companies really started to take this seriously. And we're like, okay, we need to, you know, we, we need to do something about this. And uh, unfortunately, in the Netherlands, the language just isn't there in terms of, you know, talking, talking about equity, talking about diversity and inclusion and social justice. There is, you know, there, like, I feel like the Netherlands form of social justice language is, you know, kind of within diversity and inclusion, you know, uh, frameworks. And I think that we, we can go beyond that a little more. We, we can go beyond that a lot more. So the language I think that I also brought with me is also very useful in my job and what I do because I'm able to, to also, you know, you know, reframe things and, and kind of um, offer a different perspective that people might not have thought of, you know, and it's the kind of access work, actually, um, the organization that I work for has the partnership with UCLA and they, they've been, um, partners with, um, I believe, uh, CCCP for a long time. And, and then um, for folks who don't know what CCCP is, it's a community college partnerships um, at UCLA. Yeah. Yes, correct. Correct. And so um, this, this kind of uh, notion that there is access and support for students, um, I feel like uh, ECHO really, you know, um, they, they really wanted to borrow that kind of concept and, and kind of translate that into the Dutch context to see what that could mean for, for people here, for students, um, you know, to have access and also feel supported within their studies and um, professionally as well beyond, beyond academia, because once, you know, hopefully once you graduate, you want to get a job, you know, so you want to make sure that you're also um, connecting and, and also having uh, networks beyond, you know, academia. And so I think that the work that ECHO does is so important for helping students, especially students of color that might not necessarily, you know, have access to so, you know, many different networks or, you know, job opportunities or internships. There's, there's a lot out there. And I think that, um, yeah, when, when you make that, uh, 
accessible to students, you know, you really see the potential, you see the impact. And I think my passion really stemmed from that kind of, um, that, that kind of initiative work that was being done at UCLA. So I was really, um, I was part of uh, Transfer Raza Day, organizing that um, for, you know, incoming transfers because I was part of it myself. And then the following year, I thought it was so impactful for me. I want to do this for other students who are also struggling because we all know that it's not an individual, you know, journey when a student transfers to a university. Your, their family is also transferring with them. Yeah. You know, they bring they bring their whole communities with them. And it's so important, I think, that parents are also, you know, and families are are brought into this kind of transfer experience with the student because it's a whole different world. And if you don't know necessarily how to navigate that, it, it can be a challenge. And I think if you if you're doing your best to try to help mitigate that or or help make that transition smoother you know you you really do see that students feel um they 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 feel recognized and they feel celebrated because you know their families are also being taken into account but also their their culture as well and you feel you just feel so safe when when your culture is also being represented you feel you know some kind of pride also because you feel like yeah there there is space for me I do belong here and I think that um, Echo is really trying to do that work here as well. And so I feel like my, my passion with, you know, doing kind of hands-on access work really ties in with my, with my role now. What you're reminding me of is that sometimes some of our experiences, some of our knowledge, some of our language resonates across borders, um, resonates across different, um, ethnicities, nationalities, identities. And um, it actually reminds me of back back in the day teaching the transfer summer program and having exchange students and teaching borderlands <laughs> and teaching Chicana feminism and teaching about this feeling of like being from neither here, neither there. Um, and and hearing from folks saying I can relate to that like I have never really like fit in or my parents are immigrants in this country and it's just it's 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 just really interesting to me to know that you never know that basically like if you open yourself up to opportunities you never know who might be relating to you even with mm -hmm. this podcast for instance I have listeners and I have a good set of population that listens from India and from South Africa. And I don't know who they are. <laughs> if you're listening, send me a message. But I get the statistics and the numbers and I would never guess that those would be the folks listening. <laughs> I would assume that it would be, I mean, yeah, the majority is in the US. But you never know like how far and wide your, your message, your knowledge, your experience um, will kind of reach people. And you're just a testament to that, that your work doesn't necessarily, and if you want it to stay in your city, in your community, it can, it's very meaningful, it's very powerful. And then at the same time, if you have the desire to go somewhere else or do something wider or expand, you know, the, the, the capacity of where your work kind of goes, 
it's there. It's the possibility is there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is the reason why I feel, you know, so compelled to do these kinds of uh, talks and, and have these conversations, because I know there's so many people that can, you know, e even just hearing this can inspire them, you know, maybe it's kind of a thought they had in the back of their mind and didn't really, you know, want to, you know, go forward with it. But you know, this, this is, you know, this is real and you, you can do it. And I think it is possible. Um, yeah, just there, there are people out there willing to help as well. And I think that that's also important. I think this is a perfect segue to our next question and we're getting close to wrapping up. So I'm wondering for anybody out there who might have this inclination of wanting to study abroad wanting to travel, wanting to get out of the comfort zone, maybe even one day moving abroad. What advice would you give to kind of fellow first-gen students of color who are thinking about it? And it's still this big, lofty dream. Sometimes it can feel uh, like out of our reach because it's this big dream that we've never done before. Yeah. I would say do it. I would just say do it. I can't stress this enough do it go ahead study abroad I think it's such a great opportunity and if you can try to look for funding try to look for programs that already have funding in there so that you don't have to spend you know so much you can just you know uh, probably save a little bit and then you know use your money on what you need to you know what what you want to buy but I think um, I actually want to share that um, just recently I think in June uh, at the end of June I uh, co-organized a summer program and it was um, an exchange program as well for um, the, I'm not sure if you are familiar with COE, the Council for Opportunity and yeah, education. education. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Worked so, with them when I was working for McNair. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yay. Okay. So great. Um, so ECHO actually has a long time partnership with COE and oh, they- wow. Oh. Yeah, so they so they actually, um, which I was also part of EOPS, which is also part of um, a trio program. Uh, yeah, the trio programs. And so, so I, you know, I'm a strong be believer in this. And I am, you know, uh, you know, an example, you know, of what comes out of studying abroad and having those, you know, those student support services available to you. So I think it would have changed my experience if I didn't have, you know, that kind of support, but we were able to organize um, a summer school for the students and they were different students from different parts of the US as well. And they had various um, study backgrounds as well, which was also um, good to see. And there was um, some students in university level who already knew what they wanted to do in life. And there were also students who were in community college that were wow. you know maybe not so sure what they wanted to do or what they wanted to study and it was so impactful to do that program because um they also got to see you know firsthand experience what it was like to be in the netherlands and some of them had never even traveled abroad before and they were like wow this really opens up a whole new world to me I want to go you know I want to travel again I want to do it more and some of them actually want to come back to the Netherlands because you know they loved it so much and they were also able to build their network and I you know I also offered them you know if you ever need you know any support you know I might be a little bit far but you know I you can definitely reach out to me online I, I always make time you know and 
I feel like they also felt supported in that way. I had, even after the program ended, um, some of the students out, you know, they reached out to me and one of them said, I actually put you as a contact person for, you know, a job opportunity that I applied for. And I was like, great, you know, I, I that's, that's what I'm here for. You know, I want, I want to hear those kinds of stories. I want to hear that you come, you experience this and, you know, you, you learn about a different society and maybe a different, you know, perspective in life that you didn't necessarily know. Um, and take take whatever you learned back home with you because they also were you know in leadership roles at their colleges or universities and you know a lot of what they learned here you know it was a lot of first first time experiences many of them didn't know the deep colonial history of the Netherlands and they were just shocked like shocked that that was actually you know real and and you know the the impact we st we still see it today, and that also you know has it shapes it shapes society. So they were also able to see you know different different ways of life, and also meet different people from different you know uh, cultural backgrounds that they might not necessarily ever get to meet if they were only in you know the U.S. So I feel like it, it's so it's such a good experience to, to be able to have that, you know, that transnational exchange as yeah. well. You know, you, you, you really do make, you know, more than just connections, you make friendships, you know. And I think um, I, I am a strong believer in, you know, joining student exchange programs and, and being part of that. And also having, uh, giving access to low-income students. Who, who really can benefit because they bring, they already brought their own talents with them. They brought their own knowledges with them. You know, now it was, it was just for them to kind of see what they could do with that, with, with all of what they bring here in the, the Netherlands. So it was really beautiful to see. It was a very, very, very fruitful program. That's amazing. It actually brings to mind two things for me you saying that um the first I can't help but giggle because when I worked for McNair I remember um so we encouraged students to apply to summer research programs and one student decided that he wanted to apply to um, programs abroad and his dream was to go to Japan he loved Japan Japanese culture Japanese food anime all that stuff and he went through the process of applying. I don't know that he realized that it was actually going to happen. And then when he got in and he got a scholarship, I remember Tim telling us, like, this is going to be my first flight. <laughs> so I his first it. flight was like, uh, a, I think it was a direct flight or something like that. It was like 14, 18 hours. I don't know how many yeah, hours. It's it was long. very it's like long. It's 16 hours. Yeah. I think that, that must have been it. <laughs> But I remember it was very long and just the the nerves, the anxiety, the excitement. And then he did it, came back, changed his life. And I know definitely helped him with his grad school application process. He made friends. He got, you know, a letter of rec from one of the professors that he worked with over there. Um, I'm sure he's probably gone back since then. So it that one thing completely opened different doors changed his life it was very scary your first flight for it to be that yeah, long very, yeah I don't blame I him imagine. <laughs> but it's just wow like you never again you never know what might come you out never of it know. Yeah. you never know yeah and then for me I didn't get to study abroad I wish that I had it is one of my undergrad regrets but I did get to um, conduct research do field work and and um, complete an internship in Mexico, in Chiapas, when I was a grad student, 
And that completely changed my life. And in fact, the person that I worked with and for is still one of my closest friends. She's a theater director, Colombiana from the Bronx, I think. <laughs> she's from New York, Colombiana. Okay, she's, she's from New York. <laughs> she's got that accent. That's why. Okay. <laughs> and she's still a very close friend of mine. In fact, she's actually um, moving here to Portugal. Uh, so it's just wild the connections that you might make across the years is from meeting people and having this international experience. So mm -hmm. I can only echo everything that you said about how life-changing it is for a lot of us to have these experiences and that we all deserve to have access to this. So um, any last words of, of advice or any last closing words? If not, I would love for you to tell us if anybody wants to be in touch, connect, follow, um, what what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, I guess my the best way would be maybe maybe phone number won't be as easy because um <laughs> you know I, it, it is an international number. But um yeah, I'm always open for you know if if anybody would like to email me, um they can email me at um Laura at echo dash net dot nl and we can add that to the show notes that way yeah we, we'll go <laughs> that way folks can copy paste from there yeah. and i think you might be on on linkedin is that, is that i right? am i am yeah. also on linkedin yeah you can look for me uh, under laura quintero sucarting as well okay great well thank you so much laura for sharing your experience and knowledge with us um it was just really wonderful to hear everything about study abroad about moving abroad and about you know the different kind of benefits and challenges that come with them hopefully some folks will be motivated to change their lives too <laughs> yeah thank you so much for having me I really appreciate this opportunity and yeah I look forward to hearing from anybody if they'd like to reach out I'm more than happy to you know to you know continue a conversation Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half-hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right, one free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at Grad School Fan Touring. Thanks again and until next time.